Well, today we are going to uh, continue our study. I'm going to say goodbye to a friend. I, pastors love to pre- thank you, Blake. Pastors love to preach in series. It's just kind of the way we're wired. It just kind of gives us a roadmap. And this is the fifth week, the final week. You can go online if you want to, and you can catch up on all the installment of lessons and messages that we've been teaching through the book of Ruth. Today, uh, we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to finish the book of Ruth. We're going to say bye to her today, after today. And uh, hopefully, uh, some of you are like, hallelujah. <laughs> and some of you are like, man, I want to stay there. And some of you say, man, I've never learned. I never knew there was so much there. I, I've read Ruth so many times. And, and actually, I went back and I actually did a message just on Ruth, the whole story, in 2004. That would be nine years ago, right? But I've never done a study like we have in these days. And, I, man, I'm just enjoying it. And uh, so today, we're going to talk about everlasting hope. This book, if you had to sum up Ruth, it would be about hope. God produces hope. How many would say a big amen there? I don't care where you're at. God produces hope. He's the, the author, the originator, the source of hope and comfort and joy. And we certainly have seen that Ruth started out really at a tough place. But I want to tell you something. She gets married this week. That's not a big deal to you. Okay, well, she's, she's pretty excited about it. I mean, she's a, she's a Moabite woman that her, her uh, husband died, Elimelech, and her boys both die. And she, uh, you know, she's down there in Moab. She's a Moabite. And then they finally, after 10 years, they're, they're, they come back home. They come back to Judah. They come back to Bethlehem. And there'll be significance in that. Just hold on to that Bethlehem. And they'll, they'll come back. And, um, you know, we learned that she had those two daughter-in-laws, Orpah, and, uh, and, and, and she would tell her, you know, just told Orpah, say, Orpah, uh, you know, there's nothing for you and Ruth, so y'all going back home. And Orpah said, okay, see you, go on. Probably not that curt, but maybe. And then Ruth says, hey, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Because she came to know God. And, and really, that's the only reason we do what we do. We, we just want you to know and worship and, and, and embrace the living God. And that's what she does. And, man, she has this incredible story. And then she, uh, she comes out of famine. She's back in the land of bread. That's what Bethlehem means, house of bread. And, and there's food there. And she, in, she finds herself over here in this field. And the, the guy's name is, what's his name? Boaz, Mr. Bo. Bo shows up. And, uh, man, his, his head... His head worker guy says, hey, the supervisor says, let me tell you, there's this woman down there, man. She's a hard-working woman, and he notices her, and he's, he's older, and he's a wealthy, influential, powerful man, and he notices her, and anyway, and it kind of goes from that, and the seven weeks ends in the season of harvest, and, and we saw last week, she goes in, she uncovers her feet, and there was nothing sexual about that. Go ahead and listen to that, although if somebody uncovers your feet, what do you do? You get startled, you get a little bit cold, and... Uh, I guess this would be the first story of somebody having cold feet. Uh, that was a bad joke, wasn't it? Anyway, yeah, okay. And uh, hey, I'm just, I'm just trying to work with the text, okay? And uh, so, but, but this week, they're going to find themselves getting married. And then we're going to see this lineage that is so critical for you and me. So if you got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn over there to Ruth 4, if you haven't already done that with me. And you'll just see this incredible story that, uh, I don't know, we, we've just got a lot to say today. So let's, let's get started on her life and uh, see what the Lord has for us. Let, let's pray. Lord, I just pray right now you would uh, get me out of the way. And King Jesus, you would be elevated today. And Lord, I pray that we would see the living Christ come off the pages of Ruth. 
that you are a redeemer. Father, thank you for the kinsman redeemer. Thank you for the everlasting hope that Jesus Christ brings. Amen. In the Bible, there's how many books? 66. In the Old Testament, there is 39. Let me tell you a little something. And if you're, you know, three times nine is what? It's not a trick question. Three times nine, 27. There's 39 in the old. Three times nine gives you 27. There's 27 in the new. 39 and 27 makes 66. Let's have a prayer and go home. No, I got more than that. Okay. But do you know it's the only book of 66 books, it's the only book that has a woman's name? Yeah. Ruth. She starts out as a foreigner, a Moabite, worshiped a false god. You know, not, not a very good person. And she comes to know Jehovah. She comes to know God in a powerful way. And they come out of an age of judges where there's lawlessness, rule the, the land, the people. And, uh, and, and Boaz convinces his wife, Naomi, to go down to Moab. And that's where I told you over the last few weeks, that's where the boys pick up these Moabite women. But Ruth emerges, it, Ruth and Orpah. And she just has a great story here. Now, there's one thing about it. When, when Boaz sees this woman... He says, who is this chick? That wasn't funny. Anyway, and, and really, really liked her, really, really noticed her. And, uh, you know, he wanted to have her for himself. He, he, but, but, you know, and I, she was probably a pretty woman. But here's more important. She had character. I'd write somewhere on the side of your notes. God wants to develop character in me and you more than anything else. From the inside, Jesus Christ wants to fashion. He wants to form he wants to shape us into his image. And Boaz values the character, the heart of this woman from Moab because she, she's just special. And, and so romance, as we were looking at last week, begins to, begins to speak. But let's pick up this morning. Chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz went to the town gate. He took a seat there. And just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, it's important that we talk about that. Here in Scripture, the Scripture refers to gates. You can look in Job 28. You can look in Proverbs 31. You can look at other passages. Nehemiah talks about gates. But you look here, and you see that they go to the city gate. You know, you know what's at the gate? The gate uh, comprises, it means... This is the center of commerce. This is where the king and the governor and the people rule. This is where the elders sit. Man, this, this is a high place. This is the official business epicenter of the community. And they had, had to go down there because Boaz has already found out, hey, I want to be your kinsman redeemer. But there is one who is closer than I, so he has first rights, first dibs. And we're going to learn about his story. So so Boaz goes down, he probably gets up early morning, he goes down there and the mist is, you know, coming up off the, off the land and it's early morning and people are starting to show up and there's a lot of activity and there's all these gathering conglomeration of people. And, but Boaz is going there. I'm, I'm kind of sad for him, because, but I know the story. But Boaz goes there and you think, man, his romance is going to be over. He's going to have to give up Ruth. Even though he admires her, he, he wants to marry her, but he says, I'll go and do the right thing because Boaz is a guy that does the right thing. So, so he goes there, and he, and he so <clears throat> I'm right across the top of your notes. Ruth begins with a funeral, and it ends with a wedding. How many of you like to go to weddings? How many of you like to go to funerals? 
Uh, if y'all raise your hand, like, man, that's kind of sick. You know, and the funerals can be great events in terms of celebration of our faith, and they should be. But there's something about weddings, and there's, a, there's parties, and there's festivities. So here in Ruth 4, we just see that Ruth is filled with all this disappointment. I mean, you know, if, if, if you don't have sons, you don't have kids, you don't have offspring, and, and your husband dies, and your father-in-law dies, and you got a cranky old woman that becomes, what's her, what's her name, Naomi, and what's her other name, Mara? It means bitter, and that's who she's living with. Now, you know, I know I like to pick on Naomi, and today she's going to get her story elevated a little bit. But you know what I see? God is working in the midst of all the pain. Somebody came today to hear that. I don't care where you are this morning. God is there to deliver you in his timing. We'll see that in a moment. But there's disappointment here in the land. It's a, it's a tough place to be. It's, a, it's, it's just challenging, and yet hope and healing and refuge, and restoration is going to come out. How many believe that we serve a God that delivers? He's a God of deliverance. He's a God that doesn't leave us where we are. He, he helps us to move on. So there in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, you begin to see here that God will surprise us with his method. Write it in. God will surprise us with his method, with, with his way. Now, I learned a long time ago, God's Methods are not like man's. They're not like mine. They're, they're higher. They're, uh, they're, they're eternal. They're, they, they, just, they just happen in a great way. And as, so as we begin to get into this story, we begin to see that the principle here is that God may use normal events. God might just use normal circumstances in your life. Matter of fact, I think God probably uses normal circumstances more than the next blank to deliver than supernatural acts. Now, I like to look for supernatural acts. Do you? I like miracles. And they call them miracles because they don't happen all the time, or they wouldn't be miracles. And miracles are kind of those uncommon experiences of God. And God certainly, the Scripture teaches that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I just got to tell you this morning, do you believe that God still works miracles this morning? Absolutely he does. You know, there's a group called sensationists. They believe the miracles are over. I feel sorry for them. I believe the Holy Spirit is so alive and active on planet Earth today, and He is working His power today. But many times He works the method is the normal events of the day. The normal events. And, and uh, so you and I find ourselves, and that's good news because here in this situation, they're out in the field, and Ruth is gleaning, and it just seems pretty normal, just kind of a, a regular thing here. But I want to go back to the gate. In Proverbs 31, 23, write down Proverbs 31, 23. I love Proverbs 31 because it talks about woman. It talks about godly woman. And in 23 it says, Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. There's that gate. So they're going over there. That's where people rule. That's the seat of power. And there's something great going on there. And Boaz is this guy. And he wants to go down because Boaz wants to do the right thing. You know, Boaz could have taken her, uh, you know, not the right way, but he could have taken her down there at the threshing floor at the barn last week that we talked about, but he decided not to, and he wanted to do the right thing, and he said she's a virtuous, noble woman, and he wanted to honor her. So he goes down to the gate, and he's going to talk to this guy. It's interesting in Scripture, it never names the guy's name. It just calls him Mr. So-and-so. And I like Boaz. He's confident. He says, hey, come over here and sit down. I mean, that, that's confidence, because this guy has the right and we're going to learn in Scripture about what really happens because Boaz takes appropriate action and he wants to do the right thing. But this seems like insignificant guy, but he is a kinsman redeemer. He's just not the one that's going to be for her. You know what I think Ruth teaches you and I? Family's a priority. 
Boaz wanted to get this thing right. And he loved Ruth. And that's what really separates the two of these is that Boaz takes a risk. And he goes down there. He's willing to give up because he wants to do because he has integrity. And he says, I'm going to give her up if I have to. I mean, he doesn't want to. He, he loves Ruth, guys. I mean, I, well, here we go, guys. Let's think about it. How many of you guys ever had a girlfriend in junior high or high school that you're not married to today, but it was somebody long, long ago? Hello? Hey, she ain't going to hit you. You're not married to her. I said long, long ago. Okay. And did, did you just go up to your friend and say, hey, here, you take her. I don't want her anymore. Did anybody ever get in a fight over a girl besides me when you were a teenager? Huh? Don't look at me being all sanctified. Did anybody ever get upset? All right, come on. I know I got some men folk in here. Did any man ever get upset over a woman? Come on, raise your hands. I want to see some truth tellers. Yeah, a bunch of hypocrites. What are you talking about? You, you know, oh no, you take her. She's not worth much. I don't want her. Man, man, come on. See this one right here? It's two seconds before. That's sudden death, baby. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I, I got to get back to the text. Man, y'all are like, you don't care. I'll tell you what. Yeah, whatever. All right. So the elders deliberate down here at the gate, and, and things begin to happen. And let's pick up there. So it says in verse 3, And Boaz said to the family redeemer, so he still doesn't have a name, You know Naomi who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. Although I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it. So he's going to give her up if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses because they're sitting there with the council. They're sitting there with the elders and they got the right to do it. But look what it says. But if you don't want it, let me know it right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. Now they're talking about properties, not calling Ruth it. They're dealing with the, the first thing. Kinsman redeemer. They're going to deal with property. But you know what I'm learning here is that he really, he wants her. Oh, he wants the land. He's got land. He's a wealthy guy. But he wants Ruth. He's, he's falling in love with her. He's, he's, uh, he, he offers this invitation to this kinsman redeemer, and, and, uh, but, but he's hooked. I mean, he's, you know, he's like, man, he's, but the other guy, you know what he does? He's like, okay, I'm getting my calculator out. Yeah, numbers look pretty good. I'll buy it. And then Boaz, I like Boaz. Boaz is shrewd. Boaz said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's look at the scripture. But if you don't want it, you know, the man replies, all right, I'll redeem it. But verse 5, look at this. Just write in your Bible, shrewd. Then Boaz told him, of course, you per your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Now look at verse 6. You see the real motive of the kinsman redeemer. What does he say? Well, then I can't do it. Then, then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I can't do it. He didn't really want Ruth. He just wanted land. In other words, there was going to be uh, an endangerment to his, his estate. See, in those days, you would, leave your, you would leave your wealth to your kids and grandkids and all those that followed you, and they would have, you know, whatever. And in this situation, it's like, well, we're gonna, I'm going to have less, because if, if I take on her and then we have kids, then I've got to split my state up and my kids are going to have less. He's like, no, 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 I, I don't want that. Man, you, you take her. But then I, I heard this guy, I was doing a lot of study on this this week, and I thought it was interesting. He basically says, i tell you what, if you want the land, it's your dip. You have first right. 
But I'll tell you what you do. You get her mother-in-law, and you get a Satan worshiper if you get her. So you take her. You see, before she came to know God, she was a Satan worshiper down in the land of Moab, and he gets the mother-in-law. And the guy says, hey, I don't want the mother-in-law. Hey, now I don't want a Satan worshiper. Okay, anyway, maybe you don't see that. All right. So this, this property here. But, if God, but you know what the guy's really hung up on? His inheritance of getting messed up. He, did, he just wanted, he wanted the riches of this world. He, he wanted his estate to be bigger. But what I love is the kinsman redeemer, the true kinsman redeemer here is Boaz. He falls in love with this woman. He wants her. Hey, the property, I guess the property is okay. And he says, hey, we'll have kids and it, it, your sons, you know, we'll name them after your, uh, your you know, your, your first husband and hey, everything will be good, but I'm going to do it the right way. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to go on because I'm going to take risk and I want to obey God. I want you to just write down somewhere in your notes. It always costs to obey God, but it's always the right thing to do. That's, that's right. And Boaz just says, I'm going to obey God. And you know what? We're going to see in a little while. God's going to blow it away. He is going to bless Boaz and Ruth off the chart. All right, look at verse 6. It's fire. And look at verse 7. Now, this is interesting. I'm so glad we don't do this today. Now, in those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the Redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Man, I don't want no smelly feet around me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we got some lawyers in here. Can you imagine if you, every time we, and they made a contract, that's all it is. Can you imagine us walk in and just put your shoe on the table and go, here, it's your shoe, take the sandal. I mean, wouldn't it be nasty? I mean, like, man, did they have athlete's foot? Did they have fungus? Did they, did they bathe at night? Were their, were their shoes worn out? Were they smelly? I don't know. But it was just a sign here. It was just a it was just contractual relationship. And Boaz says, hey, you have the right to buy the field, but now you're forfeiting it. And I'm, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to be the kinsman redeemer. But I'm going to get Ruth. And I think that's so special and significant because the redeemer says, or, or the first one says, I can't redeem it for myself. So he, so he gives it away. He just he forfeits the right. So look, look, pick on up with the story. It's a great story. Verse 9. Then Boaz says to the elders and to the crowd standing around, Your witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with me I have acquired Ruth. Guys, underline it. He's acquired Ruth. That's what he's more pumped about, I think, than anything. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth and the Moabite widow of Malon to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Here's what Boaz says. He announces it from the rooftop. He wants people to know, I am the kinsman redeemer. I'm going to validate. I'm going to bring authority here, but I, I, I want her. She, she's powerful. He, he makes this commitment. It's, it's a vow. It's sacred. There's a taking off of the sandal. Matter of fact, I want, you to, I want you to turn over to a passage with me. I want you to turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I just want to talk real quick about marriage this morning. About making covenants. About making vows. About taking off your sandals, if you will. Look at chapter 5, starting in verse 2. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Yours might say it a little different, but the principle's there. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. 
For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. And the church of the living Christ said, when you make a vow, when you make a promise, it's holy, it's sacred. It matters to God. I mean, when you stand in a sanctuary and where you stand and you, and you marry your, your mate, you're making that vow to God. It, it's a holy thing. I mean, it's not something just to blow through. It's the right thing. Boaz wants to, he's determined in his heart, I'm going to do the right thing. I, I love Boaz. Boaz becomes one of my heroes the more that we study this scripture. And then verse 11, he goes, the more you have, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute, I knew that didn't sound right. I was in Ecclesiastes, I like, man, what does that sound like? All right, let's look here in verse 11. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. So they're witnessing this sandal testimony covenant. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. You know how many kids they had between the two? Twelve. In other words, they're going, hey, may you and Ruth, may y'all prosper. May y'all have lots of kids. May there be a bounty. May there be a busload. May there be a tribe of children. Okay, I thought it was pretty good. So they're saying, you're witnesses. I want you to be like Rachel and Leah. I want you to be, you've come from nothing. You've come from famine. And now I want you to be fruitful. I want you to abound in the goodness of the Lord. And you know what else I learned about this story of reading about Ruth? God can redeem anybody. He redeemed the Moabite. He redeemed me one day. He redeemed you if you've trusted Jesus Christ. Some of you don't have very colorful testimonies, and I think those are the most powerful testimonies. Some of us do have colorful testimonies, and I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what God can do? He can do a great reversal in our lives. He can, he can take the things that have happened in the past, and he can reverse it. He can use it for his good when we put it under the blood of Jesus. And he makes it right. And, and Jesus is everything. And that kinsman redeemer is basically, he's a redeemer. I know my redeemer lives. And Boaz is like, he's the redeemer in this situation, but he's, gonna, he's not going to take glory for himself. He's going to point to somebody far greater. Let's continue the story here. It's just, uh, he, he loves this woman. She's his only hope. Look, look there in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. They went to the chapel. They got married. Man, this is a great story. I mean, this is a woman that has nobody. She has no social security. She has no means of taking care of herself. She's starving to death. She's got a cranky woman with her name and her mother-in-law. And now she's come into this. Uh, she's been redeemed by the kinsman redeemer. And now she has this incredible man. He's probably much older for, than her. But he loves her. And she loves Boaz. It's a, it's a romantic. I told you this was a chick flick. And you girls are like, oh, I just love that story. Pastor, tell it again. You guys are like, they ain't blowing nothing up. Come on, man, get to the story. Ain't nobody killing nobody. There ain't no slaying. I know, but, it, but, but it's beautiful. But there's elements of covenant. I, I want to give you some things that are right in the sideline I think are good today. Because here they're getting married. Or they, they do. They get married. There's a commitment of covenant love. And that's where you and I come when we make a, a marriage vow, a promise to another. We have that covenant love. It's, it's a public expression. That's why I'm really big, man, that we, we get married. We don't, we don't get married in private. Man, we get married in public. We get married with witnesses. It's a beautiful proclamation. The second thing is it's, it's a commitment of covenant love, and then it's this public form. It's uh, uh, like, okay, when, when people get married, I mean, we've been a part of that. We I don't do it anymore. I'd be kind of foolish. I mean, you know, I'm 54 years old. Like, what do you, hey, let's go mess her car up. I mean, whoo, that sounds like fun. I didn't even think it was fun then. 
Because Don and I got married so young, I was like, hey, you know, whatever. And people go out there and they do gross stuff and they, they tie tin cans and they, they put stuff in the air conditioner of your car. And, and I know, I've seen the stories. And, and they do, but, and you ride off and they ride all over your windows and you ride down the road and everybody knows. They, and, and then they write in the window, just, you don't want to go, shh, little bitty letters, just. You want everybody to know, man, it's a declaration that they, they've taken one another. Man, it's beautiful. So here's this uh, thing. And then the third one is there's this personal commitment to communion. They, they become one. And, and, and I won't spend a lot of time talking about it, but basically they consummate the union. Uh, I think you know what that means. And they have relations here. And, 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 and the Bible says that God enables her. She becomes pregnant. Like, wow, man, this is... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, just immediately, you know, God does this and it happens and there's this committed relationship between Ruth and Boaz. Just right in your side of your Bible, committed relationship. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to be committed all our days of our life to Christ Jesus and to our maid. And, and, and I, I know we have a lot of people in our church that are in different places and they, they've had other marriages and in this marriage. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus takes us right where we are. And he covers us, and he seals us, and he protects us, and he wants us to love the one we're with, and he wants us to honor them and treasure them and bless them and love them. And the church said, that's good news, church. Treasure that person you're with. So there's a committed relationship here. And uh, so they, they begin, you know, they had this relationship. But, but, you know, in this whole thing, kinsman and redeemer, my mind... I, you know, I've studied it, and I understand kinsman and redeemer about buying back property and justice and all these things. But my mind races to Jesus. Is Jesus not the kinsman redeemer for you and me? You know, we don't really understand like Jubilee. We don't understand buying back stuff like this. In that society, God was setting us up for a foreshadow of the Christ, of the real ultimate redeemer, Jesus. And Christ comes and the book of Ruth leads us to Jesus. I hope you see him. Number two, look at the second point right in the middle of the page. God's, God will surprise us with his timing. God's timing, it's perfect. Already this morning, somebody walked through and said, Pastor, I want to give you a word of testimony. Didn't you, Jerry? You came over and you said, man, and God's timing is this, and God's timing is that, but God's timing is perfect. I want you to fill this in. The principle, God may act slowly. He just may act slowly to, rather than deliver us speedily. I don't know about you, but I've found that God's timing is always much slower, many times much slower than I want, but it's best. And God's timing here is perfect. And, and it comes in and, and God surprises us how he brings deliverance in our life. He brought deliverance to Ruth. What a great story. But I want you to get real practical. I want, I want you to get out of this ancient Israel. And I want you to think about your life. It, do you believe this morning that God's timing is perfect? Do you like God's timing? No, no, don't be quick and say, amen. You do not. Sometimes we don't like it, but it's good. And it's right. And it's holy. And he's sovereign. And he begins to say there in verse 14, 11, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. She, she, see She's giving praise here. It's a, it's a great thing. Here in the town of bread, they're, they're, they're back in Bethlehem and things are really going good. And God's plan of redemption unfolds for the whole world. Now hang with me because we're going to go there and you're going to see why the book of Ruth, and while the genealogies are coming, fill this in. God may actually delay deliverance. Fill it in. God may actually delay deliverance in your life and mine. I'd almost say many times he will. He just delays it. 
But Naomi, mother-in-law, she's holding out for del- she's holding out for redemption. You know, she's come from being a faith-filled person to being bitter. She's coming back. She's, you know, maybe she's having a quiet times more regularly. She's seeing God work in her life, in her daughter-in-law's life, and she's holding out for redemption. And we're going to see that the story is going to build here. It's, it's just going to get richer because Naomi comes and. And, uh, you know, she's, you know, like, well, why call me Naomi? Oh, call me bitter, but not now. She's starting to see that, hey, God has plans. God has the plan of a kinsman redeemer for her daughter-in-law. This morning, God has a plan for us. The story doesn't end here, though, with just at this point. It it continues to build, and we're going to get into something that, personally, when I read it, I I used to gloss over it, and sometimes I still do, but when you get into the in-depth study of genealogies, you get the blessing. How many of you believe every single word of God is there for a purpose? Every single word, even the genealogies. When I read the Bible in about 90 days last year, when I went through that crazy challenge, I won't ever challenge y'all to do that again. And I read it cover to cover in 90 days. And I was saying, and when I would get the genealogies, I got, can I just be honest? Pastor did some speed reading. I mean, I've, I've read the word over and over and over, but when I get there, I'm like, man, this is like, man, this is, I'm ready to go to sleep. And, uh, but this genealogy today, it's not very long, but it's going to be rich. Let's just hang with me. In verse, uh, look down there in verse 17. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. She's got a grandson. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now I love this. This story has really been about Ruth and Boaz in a big way. And that's going to shift back to Naomi. And it's going to shift to the main character of the book, the Lord Jesus. If, if you'll look closely, you'll see that Naomi now has a kinsman redeemer. Ruth has a kinsman redeemer, but something far greater is really coming. So God's purpose here is to teach us endurance. How many of you believe that God wants to help us to endure it? He wants to encourage us to endure in him. I want, to, I want to give you a scripture today that I think is very powerful. Romans chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It'll come up on the screen. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us to learn to endure. And endurance develops strength of character in us. And character, character strengthens what? Our confident expectation of salvation. Endurance always has a purpose for the child of God. And God wants you and me, he wants me to so much endure. Blessed is the man that endures, for when he is tried, he should receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him, says James. Blessed is the man that doesn't shrink back. Blessed is the woman that doesn't fold back and run back to mama. Blessed is the person that endures to the end, and they will be saved. Oh, it's just a beautiful story here. So the son comes. What's his name? Obed. I noticed nobody, they, I've never gone to the hospital and go, hey, can I meet your son? Yes, his name's Obed. Nobody names their kid Obed. I, I don't know why, you know. Maybe, I mean, you know what it means? Servant, worshiper. Isn't that cool? Right here in the great line of Jesus Christ comes Obed. He's a long awaited, he, he, he's a son. And God is plotting all through Scripture and through our life, and he's working that he brings glory to his name. And God is going to bring glory to his name through this genealogy. And here's what I learned in this genealogical record, that nobody is too far from the hand of a redeeming God this morning. I don't care what you've done, what you've been about, what you've 
how, how bad you've messed up, you're not too far from God. You can still be redeemed. And I ask the question, what's your legacy today? What mark are you leaving on the world? Are you leaving a mark of Jesus? Are you leaving a mark that you're following Christ? And we begin to see this, the good thing. But you know what the scripture says? Jesus is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the everlasting hope. There it is. He's everlasting hope. This morning, I, I like it. The third point is God will surprise us with his perspective. God has a different perspective than you and me. I, I, I can't see God's perspective many times. When I dig down, when I get with others, when I read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit many times will awaken to me. There's an eternal perspective here. Keith, you've been looking at the temporary, and that's not going to get you very far. But if you look for what I'm doing in Ruth and Boaz, know about the eternal plans of the kinsman redeemer. And So look at it here in verses 18 through 22. God always has the ultimate in view rather than the immediate. God has this ultimate view, this ultimate plan. How many of you believe this morning that God has an ultimate plan in your life and it's not the immediate that you and I struggle with every day? There's this ultimate plan. You know what it is? It's to give him glory. He is the famous one of Israel. But let's continue to move. In verse 18, I know you've been waiting. Pastor, I was waiting for you to get there. See, before you didn't ever care. And today you want to see it. Look at it. This is a genealogical record of the ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Don't nobody names their kid that one. I mean, can you imagine that your little boy trying to learn that name at school or learn how to spell it? Amen, amen, easy for you to say. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Who was David? He was King David. It's just, it's, it's just this great story of hope, and, and you see how God's pushing through. But to really understand this, because you kind of get a gap, I want you to turn over to Matthew. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. And if you look at 1 through 6, and that's that part when you always start with the New Testament, and you read it, and you skip over it. I know, I, I do it too most of the time. Look at it. Chapter 1, 1 through 6. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was... His, whose mother was... Who was Rahab? She was a prostitute. Okay, harlot, there you go, that's a good word. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Who was Uriah's wife? Bathsheba. Oh, we know about that story. You see here, 40 generations, all this is going on. It's like reading a Hebrew phone book when you read this. I mean, I know some of you don't have much to do. You just read the phone book on the weekends. Man, get a life. But there's, there's four women mentioned in the genealogy. There's four of them. Tamar. And uh, I, I'm not going to get into all that story for sake of time because I'm chicken. Read Genesis chapter 38, verse 6 through 30. Woo! It's R-rated, okay? And then there's Rahab. That's Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. And you can circle Tamar, you can circle Rahab. And then there's Ruth. We've been talking about Ruth for five weeks. And then there's Bathsheba. And, you know, King David looks down from the castle, from the palace, and he sees the woman, and he orders her up, and then he ends up having her husband Uriah killed. And, 
and then they have a son, and what's his name? Yeah. So you know what happens? The Christmas story really starts here in Ruth. You begin to see Bethlehem. You begin to see what God does. You see the hand of providence. You see the hand of the Almighty God. You see, things are beginning to wake up. There's this rich heritage. And then it comes down to Obed, and then it goes to Jesse, and then Jesse goes to David. And then we get a little farther down, and we see Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the eternal Son of the living God. Our God is bigger than our deepest despair. He begins to show us this, and he shows us that obedience is always the next step. And I think all because Boaz was obedient. Ruth was obedient. They took steps. And then God, you know, when I read the scripture and I see these women that are tainted on the best day, not to mention how the men are, it just shows me there's hope for you and me. That's good news, church. That's grace. And we see, you see, here is the grandma, the great-great-grandmas of Jesus, these women in here. And, And you see that God's people have a future and God doesn't leave us alone. And there's a horrible situation for Ruth earlier. And now it's a great conclusion to the life of Ruth. Ruth takes a husband. Ruth gets a kinsman redeemer. There's a story of redemption. So what do we see? I see the invisible hand of God. Would you just make a note? See the invisible hand of God. Begin to look and see what God's doing. Do you believe God is working around you in spite of you and when you don't even see it? I do. God is orchestrating things right now in heavenly places and on this earth that we're not aware of if we don't look. He's providential. Secondly, let's be about God's business. God, I want to be about your business. I want to do the things that matter to the kingdom. I want to be available, God. Boaz was a man that was available. Ruth was available. God, you use them. Would you use me? And the third thing is this. Look for God's surprise redemption. Look for God's redemption. Here's the story I'll tell you. Michael, y'all come to the keyboard on that. On surprise redemption. People in our congregation, and we all know people and have had friends in our life and family members that have had cancer. Some have died, some are here, some are cancer-free. And if you'll talk to people that are filled with faith and they go through cancer and then they end up getting maybe a, maybe they don't get a good report. Maybe Jesus calls them home. Maybe they get, at the end of six years, they declare them cancer-free. They go through the diagnosis and the prognosis, and they go through treatment and surgery and radiation and chemo and post-follow-up visits, and then six months, and then you get to a year, and they don't even declare you cancer-free unless you've been six years. But if you'll listen carefully to them, they'll say they saw God's redemption through the whole situation, and they saw God working. Here's just what I'm trying to submit to you and me today. We need to look for God's hand all around us and see that he is there to deliver us. He delivered Ruth. Why would he not deliver us? God is for you. Who can be against you? And the church said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, how good it is to be with people of faith this morning. And I love where Galatians says that God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And Father, I pray this morning that we would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would repent and trust Jesus. You redeemed Ruth. You long to redeem us if we're repentant, if we would believe the gospel. If we'll ask you for redemption, Lord, you would do that even for us, even today. Lord, there's some people that are stuck in chapter 1. Maybe they've moved to chapter 2. Maybe they're in 3, but God, I pray we'd move on to chapter 4. And we would see the glorious kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning I pray that we would turn from religion and pride or whatever. 
and we would turn to Jesus. We would look to him. Lord, save some today. Right now, the side tables, the crosses on the side of the rooms are lit up, and there are people there, men and women, to pray with you about any spiritual need. I invite you to go. God, we love you. We need you, Lord Jesus. Lord, you are the redeemer of everlasting hope. And that is what we celebrate today. We have to come to declare the praises of the Son of God. The Messiah has come. He is here. His name is Jesus.